uh, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love those words that we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, come thou long, come, O long expected Jesus. Those are the cries. Those are the words. Those are the songs. Those are the lyrics. Those are the music. Those are the prayers of Advent. We're in the second week of Advent. We lit the second candle, and Advent basically just means arrival, right? Arrival of something or or someone. Something's coming or someone's coming to us. And so during this uh, Advent season, we celebrate all the ways that Jesus comes to us, past, present, and future. In the past, he came to us at Christmas when he was born. Christmas. That's one of the ways that he arrives, that he advents to our lives. And Christmas is all around us, right? Christmas is all around us, but it's actually not here yet. No matter how many Christmas songs we sing, no matter how many Christmas carols we sing, no matter how many Christmas parties we go to or Christmas cookies and candies we eat, Christmas won't be here until December 25th, right? It's kind of here, but it's not completely here. And so it's good for us to kind of be in that, that space. It's kind of a now and not yet space. We're waiting, we're preparing, we're anticipating, we're yearning. If you're a kid, you're really counting down the days, right, till Christmas. So we celebrate Jesus' arrival at Christmas, past, present. Advent, we focus on Jesus also coming to us right now, especially in the gifts of baptism and the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine, the body and blood. We're going to partake in just a moment. We, we realize and we confess that there's a real presence of God amongst us, that Jesus is here giving us forgiveness in a powerful way. It's one of his advents. Finally, the third way that we focus on advent is that we anticipate and we long for the day when Jesus will come again. Just saying about it in that song, come the long expected Jesus. Just as the Old Testament people, the Old Testament people, they looked forward for hundreds of years. They waited, they anticipated for the Messiah to be born. So too, we as God's people, we take time, especially during Advent, to think about Jesus' promise to come again. Because if you're going to celebrate Jesus' birth, you celebrate why he was born. He was born, born to die on that cross, born to rise again from the grave, born to pave the way to resurrection life for us. And we will rise again when Jesus comes again, as he has promised. That's part of Advent. That's part of our anticipation and our preparation. And so that leaves us kind of in a now and not yet tension. Kind of just like Christmas is all around us, but it's not here until December 25th. Jesus has brought salvation to all of us, but it is not completely here until he comes again. In some ways, it's kind of like owning a house, right? The down payment has been paid, and we get all the joys and responsibilities of home ownership, but it's not completely ours until the mortgage is paid off, right? I got 23 years to go. I don't know about you. Jesus has come, and he has deposited the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we receive the joys and the benefits of salvation, but Jesus will finally pay off that mortgage when he comes again. And so we're here in that spot in between times and now and not yet. Christmas is coming. Jesus is coming again. We experience it in a powerful way, but not 100% completely yet. Now, I don't know about you, but when we're anticipating an arrival of someone at our house or someone coming to our house, an advent at our house, our family gets ready. 
We prepare. That's kind of what Advent is. And when we do that, we have preparations to be done. There are to-do lists to be accomplished. And, and during this time of the year, that's how kind of we're all acting right now. We're doing a bunch of different stuff. At our house, we prepared our house. We set up a Christmas tree. We've got a little Advent wreath. We even have a Jesse tree this year. I even put Christmas lights on the outside of my house. It was a Christmas miracle of Griswold proportions, my friends. <laughs> Just got one line this year. It's going to be bigger next year. I can feel it. <clears throat> but I'm sure that you've done similar things in your life, right? In the midst of all the preparations this time of year, in the midst of those preparations, we are, giving, we are given a Bible text that challenges us to think about how are we getting ready for Advent? How are we getting ready for Christmas? How are we preparing our homes and our families and our lives and who we are as God's people for the only Christmas guest that really matters? And that Christmas guest is Jesus the Christ, our Savior. What does it mean for us to go kind of beyond that surface preparation? and to prepare our hearts and our lives and our community and our church as a people called by God. And so our Bible reading today, and, and thousands and millions actually of Christians throughout the world are actually reading this text pointed for this Advent season. And there's questions asked in this text. And those questions, they force us to ask questions about our lives and our families and our preparations and our anticipation of Jesus coming, not only at Christmas, but when he comes again. And so my goal for you today is for you to identify what question God wants you to ask yourself for you to prepare this Advent. What question will help you look at your own life and prepare for Jesus coming, not only at Christmas, but when he comes again? So Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 says this. It says, I will send my messenger. God is speaking through Malachi. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And he's referring to John the baptizer. And then suddenly the Lord you are seeking, that's Jesus, will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, Jesus, whom you desire, will come. This is the Lord Almighty saying this. And so Malachi, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He uttered those words 400 plus years before the advent, before the arrival of John the Baptist and Jesus and he's referring to John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. And we see this text fulfilled in our gospel reading, Luke chapter 3 today. Luke chapter 3, verse 1 says this. It says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, as you read that, you're kind of like, you kind of started, I saw you guys, not, you know, dozing off a little bit. It's like reading a history book, right? And at first, you look at that text, and you're thinking, okay, yeah, let's get on to the better part, pastor, right? But I'm telling you, that text has got to be one of the most powerful texts in the scriptures, Five political leaders are mentioned, men of power, men of standing, men of prestige, who the culture looked up to. Two religious leaders are mentioned, basically like the Pope, right? Men of power, men of standing, men of prestige that the community and the church and all the people look up to. And after listing those seven powers that be, that's seven, right? Not one, not two, not three, seven. Luke concludes with those words, the word of God. The message of God, the communication of God came to who? 
John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. I mean, compared to those seven names that were just mentioned, John is a nobody, right? And he's in the wilderness. He's not in Los Angeles or New York City or Chicago. He's not in Jerusalem, Athens, or Rome. He's in the desert. He's at a truck stop in Blythe, California. He's a nobody who is absolutely nowhere. And yet that is precisely where the word of God came. And God used John, this John guy, to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, our Savior, Jesus. You look at that and you're like, what? That's not what the culture was expecting at the time. That's not even what the religious leaders or the community of faith or the church, you might say, at the time was expecting. My friends, as you read the scriptures and you become closer to, come closer to God, you realize that God has never been confined to what we as humanity think he should do or expect him to do. And thank God for that, right? My, my experience, that rings true. God communicates. God speaks. God shows up in the places that I often least expect. And so maybe that's your question this second Sunday of Advent, from what unexpected place or what unexpected person might God be speaking to you this Advent? Kind of reminded me just a few weeks ago, uh, the Pink Sparkles. You ever heard of the Pink Sparkles? Uh, yeah, the Pink Sparkles, man. My daughter was uh, Coach Hayward. He's right here. He's, he's in the crowd. You can get signatures later, right? Coach Hayward, Coach the Pink Sparkles, right? And uh, we had a huge party. It was on the news after the season was over. We had a great season. But uh, we had a great soccer party at the end of the year over at the Hayward's house. And, man, it was just a good time, wasn't it? We had, we, I, didn't, I didn't expect it to be so awesome, right? And we had a good time of fellowship and community and, and uh, time together as a community as a family of faith, right? I mean, the whole soccer team goes to the preschool, you know? It's just, it's just great. It's great. But sometimes God shows up in unexpected and awesome places. Chapter 3, verse 3 of Luke. He went, that's John, into all the country around the Jordan. He went preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. So not only Malachi, but Isaiah is predicting the coming of John. It says, a voice of one calling where? In the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley is going to be filled in. Every mountain will be made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. The rough ways smooth. And then here it is. And all people, all people, all flesh, everyone will see God's salvation. Salvation is for all people, not just the Jews 2,000 years ago. It's for everyone, and it's a good reminder for us here in this room today that Christmas, the message of Advent, the message of Christmas, it is for everyone. And maybe for you this morning, that's the question you need to ask. Who do you need to include this Christmas include to your family, include to your preparations, include in your generosity, include at the dinner table. This salvation is for everyone. John continues, verse 7, and John said to the crowds, okay? The crowds are coming out to be baptized by him, and he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And you're sitting there thinking, come on, John, it's Advent and Christmas, don't be so judgy, all right? 
but maybe they needed to hear it. Sometimes arrogance and hubris and pride needs to be deflated by the truth in love. And you kind of, in verse 8, you begin to see what John's addressing. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you the truth, out of these stones, Gentiles were called stones, out of these stones, God could raise up children for Abraham. You see, 2,000 years ago, the Jewish people, sometimes they got a little haughty, they got a little proud, and they thought that their pedigree and their genealogy and their bloodlines made them better than the Gentiles and the Samaritans and all the other people. But John, John was addressing them, and he was saying that through the forgiveness of sins, through this baptism of repentance, through this Messiah that's coming, God can create Jews, God can create children of Abraham out of Gentiles. I'm telling you, that was radical thinking at the time. Radical thinking. No one was thinking that way. And I think we learned from that text that sometimes we kind of get that way too. We think that, well, we've been part of this church forever, where maybe my grandparents were baptized here, or I'm part of this Christian thing forever, or I have some sort of better pedigree or standing than other people around me. I have some sort of better morality or accomplishment or success or family or race or culture or whatever, and somehow we think that we're better than other human beings. And John says, if you have that sort of hubris and pride, the axe is ready at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire, and the crowd's like, oh, that hurts. And they say, well, what should we do then? That's another good question for Advent. What should we do with our lives? John answers verse 11. He says, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. John is saying to be generous out of your abundance. We have that Christmas party going on right now. Tons of our kids are over there, and all of them were bringing a gift. I was at Target with my girl last night, my girls last night, picking up some gifts. These gifts are going to be given to the foster children. We're teaching our children to be generous out of their abundance. I love that. That's what Advent is. That's what Christmas is all about. And maybe that's a question you need to ask yourself. Who can I be generous to? this Advent, this Christmas. Verse 12, it says, even the tax collectors, this is a big deal, even the tax collectors came to be baptized. And Rabbi, teacher, they asked, what should we do? Now, I don't know if you see it there, but that, there's so much inclusivity and grace there in John's ministry. Because despised tax collectors were coming out in humility out to Blythe, California to be baptized they were repenting, going out to the desert, repenting of their sin, receiving forgiveness, and then asking, what should we do with our lives? Now, just a reminder on what forgiveness is. We kind of sang about it a moment ago. Forgiveness can also be translated as release. So to be forgiven is to be released. And the tax collectors, they overtaxed people. They basically robbed their own people. They committed big-time sin, and because of that, they felt guilt, and they felt shame, and they were ostracized by their fellow Jews because their fellow Jews hated them for, for the extortion that was upon them. And they went out in the desert, and they repented, and they received forgiveness. They received a release from the weight of sin and guilt and shame, and they said, what should we do? Verse 13, John says, don't collect. Don't collect any more than you are required to do. And basically, John was saying, act justly. Act fairly to those that are under your care, under your jurisdiction. 
under your power. We've got a lot of powerful people, I'm sure, in this room. And maybe that's the question you need to ask. Who do you need to treat fairly and justly in your sphere of influence and your sphere of power? Verse 14, then some soldiers came out and they asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Justice, integrity, gratitude. Maybe there's a question in there for you. What injustice should you stand up against or what justice should you stand for? What can you do and act and how you, can you be with integrity or contentment? What do you need to be grateful for this advent? So as we are waiting for Jesus to come, this text, it invites us to ask a bunch of deep questions about how we are preparing beyond Christmas lights and Christmas trees and Christmas cookies and Christmas candies and all that stuff, which is all good. But our text invites us to go deeper. How are we preparing for Jesus to come at Christmas? How are we preparing for him to come again? John, or Luke chapter 3, verse 15, it says this, the people, the people were waiting expectantly. They were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. But John answered them all. He said, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. That's Jesus. The straps of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire and with many other words. John exhorted the people and he proclaimed the good news to them. That's where we're drawn back. We're drawn back to our own baptisms, our own connection with Jesus. The water when the word was washed over us in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. That's where we're drawn back to the good news that has been proclaimed over us, to the truth that we have been forgiven, that we have been released from sin and shame and guilt. Salvation is ours and the Holy Spirit has been deposited into our hearts, into our lives, into our families, into our community, into our church. And just like those crowds... And just like those tax collectors and those soldiers and those sinners and that nobody, John, in that nowhere place desert, we all have received the deposit of the Holy Spirit and salvation is ours. And when Jesus comes again, it will be fully paid for eternity. That's what we wait for this Advent. And maybe as we're waiting expectantly and maybe as we're wondering, maybe a good question for us to really ask, Jesus, when are you going to come again? And that question drives us to sing and to pray and to cry out from the depths of who we are just as we did just a moment ago. I don't know if you heard and recognized those lyrics. We said, Jesus, now we are awaiting the day of your return when every eye will see you as heaven comes to earth. Until the sky is opened, until the trumpet sounds, the bride is getting ready, and the church is singing out. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Amen? Amen. Amen.